All right. I am now joined by Jason Miles, uh, sublation columnist. This is Revolution host, rock star, whatever <laughs> this in here. I'll take it. I'll take it all. You take it all. All <laughs> right. Uh, the horror movie enthusiast. Yes. Uh, you know, many other things. Uh, and, um, yeah. So, uh, so you were, uh, you were joining us, uh, from, uh, from the third world from, uh, from, from, uh, Mexico. Uh, <laughs> yes. From the developing nation that is, um, this apartment complex. <laughs> yeah. It must be dangerous. Um, well, uh, in any case, uh, I appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, we can keep this relatively informal and start taking calls pretty quickly if people want to call in and ask uh, questions to Jason. But just to kind of kick uh, kick things off uh, before then, what have you been up to? I, I know you're writing something new for Sublation. Yeah, uh, I've been working on a piece uh, kind of about a few weeks ago, uh, maybe about a month ago. Uh, a friend of mine who, I don't know if he's been on this show yet, but I, I think he's been on your show, uh, Conan Neutron, a musician friend of mine, had made this comment. Yeah, that, uh, Okay, that's what I figured. Um, when, we, when we can't get justice, we settle for catharsis. Yes. And it, it's been resonating with me pretty much since he said it, and I was kind of thinking of something along those lines, and I think he might have put it in the simplest terms for me. And I was thinking about uh, what we've been seeing in places like France with their with their protests um, over the raising of the pension age and why we don't see the same type of collective action here when it comes to our own social safety net, social safety net. Uh -huh. and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that in this country, we don't really like our social safety net. And if you have to use. Um, any of the programs that we have, um, there's a there's a fear involved in, in it, you know, for for several reasons. And I kind of get into um, the lack of collective action over over certain programs. Like we just recently had a cut to SNAP benefits, which mm -hmm. is literally affecting people um, in even the the personal TIR world, and you know, kind of my musings on why we see a certain mass action for something like George Floyd yeah. or, even, or even the way, and I didn't get into this in the piece because I, I decided to kind of move away from it, but I'll, I'll say it on the show. So maybe it'll enrage callers, but <laughs> uh, also the same way that we view things like abortion, where <laughs> a lot of the argument is based into the government control over bodies, but it's the government control over certain bodies because the government's been controlling women's bodies, especially if you if you're part of you know certain government services, and uh, or or you're in the prison system, um, they can tell you what to do with your body, and and no one really uh, raises much of a, a a voice about that. Um, so, I, I just kind of wanted to get into that that uh that thing and, and kind of how social media and the way we view politics in the modern context we kind of look at politics as almost um personal preferences 
mm. and not the idea of working with people that may have uh, different views uh, mm -hmm. on things than ourselves and this kind of massive uh, eco chamber uh, that we build um, and the way even that we uh, interact with one another on some of these platforms is antithetical to the idea of politics and, uh, you know, kind of like what uh, our, our good friend Danny Bestner talks about with a lack of a mass politic. It's, it's hard to, to even think about mass politics um, in, in this modern context. Yeah, you know, there's a lot going on there, but one thing I was thinking about, about, you know, abortion, maybe a different way of sort of making that point is, um, you know, they, like we were talking about a right to, you know, make these decisions about terminating pregnancy. Um, you know, obviously I think that abortion restrictions are really bad and, you know, that's important to sort of hold the line against that. But, uh, it is kind of telling too about some of what you're talking about because, you know, the word right there is being used in a really narrow way. I mean, you know, abortions aren't free. Yeah. Like, um, you know, you're, what we're talking about is like the right to an abortion if you can afford, a, if you can afford one, um, which, uh, and, you know, never mind the idea that like, if you're really talking about giving people meaningful options about family planning, you know, to my mind, that would mean both covering abortion, like all other healthcare uh, through the state mm -hmm. also, um, but also providing people with the financial ability to, to, you know, have kids if they want kids, you know, that, that like, and not have to, and not have to make decisions like that under financial pressure, you know, that that would be like a, that, like, if you had both of those things, you know, that like you had meaning, you know, childcare, meaningful financial support for young parents, uh, as well as a sort of more robust right to abortion. I mean, like that would be real, like real freedom of choice, but like, you know, by and large, Americans don't think like that. No, because abortion um, and, you know, guns, these become uh, not no longer like economic issues and they become pop culture issues, culture war issues, if you will. And mm -hmm. I think that's where we start to to lose the plot once they become culture war issues, um, because then it gets captured by. Um, it gets captured by media and then becomes kind of political burlesque in my opinion mm -hmm. um and then this idea of human rights becomes um the jumping off point and kind of the moral to all of these stories like um whenever there's a, a school shooting or any sort of like mass killing workplace shooting uh there's always someone that's going to do this sorry there's a car backing out and it's, and it's always going to be, you know, I'm tired of this America <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're, you know, someone that does lefty media or you're a right wing pundit on Fox, you're going to start off with the same thing. I'm tired of this America. Um, and, and, uh, and once that starts, it's like, Oh, okay, well, here we go again. You know, now we're going to play the, uh, the game of, of inherent good and inherent bad people. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, this is, uh, you know, you mentioned Danny Bester. I was, uh, you know, watched him on uh, on Bill Maher on Friday, which is bizarre. Uh, <laughs> you know, whenever I see Danny in real life, I you know he's always wearing like shorts and a hoodie. You know, <laughs> yes, he looks like every yeah yeah. I was making a joke about him today. How he looks like every uh, he looks like um what's his name uh, Woody Harrelson's character in White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> yes. Uh, but of course, this was the this was the cleaned up Danny to uh, to go on uh, to go on Bill Maher. He's wearing a suit and a tie, uh, and um, and and for a, a lot of that discussion, the the sort of disconnect between Danny's perspective and Bill's perspective, and also the other guest, who's uh, Glenn Lowry, who you know I don't know exactly. I saw him described as a conservative leading economist. I guess that's a good enough description. But it uh, never talks about the economy. Always talks about the defective Negroes. <laughs> that's another way to uh, to say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like and uh, like Bill and Glenn. You know, they're talking about crime, and Bill and Glenn are both like hyper focused on like individual morality, like the problems. Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, I'm writing something about this for uh, the Daily Beast, where I have a line in the current draft about you know how uh, something Bill said and and uh, Glenn Lowry agreed was that uh, <laughs> black celebrities need to speak out more about this violence that's being committed by young black men against other young black men. And I, so I, I said that, you know, current draft, the daily beast piece, at least that, you know, I'd, I'd be fascinated to know if Bill Maher thinks that there's like a gang member in Chicago somewhere who would stop committing violence. If he knew that, you know, Chris Rock didn't want him to. Um, no, not Chris Rock, Will Smith. Will Smith. Okay. That's the one who needs to speak out against it. Will, Will Smith, Smith has to tell him like, Hey, Hey young man, it's, this isn't the way. Carl yes. Weathers comes down from the Mandalorian set. Brother, this isn't the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is not the way. Uh, and, you know, Daddy keeps trying to talk about uh, structures and, you know, socioeconomic mm-hmm. issues. Uh, and uh, Bill and, and Glenn, you know, both think it's it's all about, um, again, they, they want to talk about individual morality. There's some implied, you know, I mean, you use the phrase defective Negroes. There's definitely, nobody exactly says that, but there's a lot of implied stuff floating around about culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this is, I, I think it's really tough sledding for anybody who's making the case that Danny has made in ways that I think are related to a lot of what you're talking about, because, you know, so much of uh, American mass media um, is just about like a lot of what people it seems like a lot of what people are fighting about is like sort of which bad people doing bad things we should be mad about. <laughs> That's some of the fight, you know. First of all, I got to get your attention for you even to want to fight, and I have to present something in a, in a very good bad binary for you. Um, you know, there's a reason why true crime podcasts are way bigger than any of the BS that we talk about. And it's because people love these narratives of, uh, of, of bad people, uh, harming good people, uh, and, and, uh, the heroes that saved them. 
Um, and sometimes we can be our own heroes in these, in these uh, sounding off boards, like social media and, um, and constantly uh, berate quote unquote bad people. But when it comes to having like mass politics to really stop the harm. So for example, like um, uh, police violence, and the moment a, a cop shoots a, an unarmed kid and the greatest thing for the press is when that person is, a, is, is, a, is of color. Yeah. White cop shooting black person. This is everybody gets excited in the newsroom. Um, especially unarmed. Oh, love it. Right. Uh, when that happens, then again, that's the, the, the I'm tired America. <laughs> you get, you get that narrative and you never really talk about, well, how can we think beyond this? And then, you know, in doing the research for this, this piece, I, um, I talked to a friend of uh, the TIR show, who's a journalist in Minneapolis and all throughout what was going on in Minneapolis, I definitely had my feelings about it. And I guess it resonated with him and he was kind of following what I was saying. I was following what he was writing about what was going on because not much changed. And for a lot of people in Minneapolis, abolishing the police wasn't the answer because it didn't equal good union jobs for a lot of people, especially in places like Los Angeles, the police and, and where I'm from in the Bay area, law enforcement, whether you're a dispatcher or, you know, someone inside that just pushes papers and you don't carry a gun. A lot of those jobs are great union jobs. Um, we see the same thing here yes. with, uh, with border patrol for a lot of people. That's a way out of poverty. And I'm not saying that we have to keep the police. So, you know, a handful of people can <laughs> get out of poverty. I'm just making the point. So, so cats understand why there is so much pushback from communities where people think, well, you guys should all be, be wanting this, this defunding or abolishing of police since they kind of are always in your, your neighborhoods. It's like, no, I get that. But, um, these jobs for a lot of people are a way out. And people also, um, also, even people who know perfectly well that cops can be racist, racist and abusive um, are still worried about crime. I mean, they're still, you know, they're still yeah. like, uh, you know, like they, if you uh, like there, there is like a weird thing that I'll see sometimes on like, I don't know, lefty Twitter where, um, where it's sort of taken as like, I don't know, it's like sort of more politically enlightened or something if you're just like, not worried about like uh getting robbed or attacked or you know if you sort of like shrug off like a certain amount of crime as like the um you know price of living in cities or something but like yeah if you if you live in neighborhoods where this is like a big problem like it's going to be you're going to take that um you know you're going to take that seriously um that makes perfect you know that makes perfect sense to me but uh and also like it's I mean, Minneapolis, like, it was always really clear to me that Minneapolis was never going to not have a police department. Like, there was no world where there just, like, weren't cops in Minneapolis. Like, at at most, I could, ima I could imagine them calling it, like, 
calling it something else. Um, the Department of Public Safety, I believe that's what they were going to rename it. Was the Department yeah. of Public Safety, yeah. But, like, if that had gone through, and, I mean, it is interesting to look at, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of the communities where um, police violence is the most of a problem, like, really emphatically rejected that referendum. But, like, if it had gone through, I mean, there's just zero doubt in my mind that the Minneapolis Department of Public Safety would have been much more uh, like a regular police department than not, because, you know... I, I just, uh, you know, I don't think people who thought that that was going to be very different have uh, have really like spent very much time thinking that through. Well, think about think about CPS, Child Protective Services. Yeah, no one looks at them as cops. Yeah, people look at them as like a helpful entity, uh-huh. but they're cops. They are just like cops. Sands the firearms. They're yeah. constantly looking for trouble. When they find it, shit happens. And sometimes it's not always the best. You yeah. know? And and we don't ever want to have these complex conversations because there's nuance within these conversations about what what to do with the family, if you will. And when the only conversation is should you or should you not take a kid out of a house that is dysfunctional and we're not really talking about the dysfunction within the house, why the dysfunction within these houses even exist. Um, then what are we really doing? You know, in where I live, it's kind of, uh, or where I'm from, um, kids don't get taken out of the house that much. So you have a lot of kids living in insane poverty with their family. Yeah. There's drug addiction and there's sexual abuse going on, all in the name of, of keeping people in the family, keeping the family intact. And um, it's, it's hard to look at because once you pose any sort of opposition to this this uh, way of doing things, then you're automatically thrown into the camp of you just want to break up families. It's like, I don't, I don't want to break up families. I don't want families to exist like this. I don't think this is a way for that. Anybody wants to live. Um, but, but the deeper nuanced conversation is harder to have because we can't identify the bad guy. Yeah. Um, so, so I did want to, you know, before we go to calls, I did, I did want to ask about that because going back to one of the first things you said, thinking about identifying the bad guys, like the sort of starting point, I guess, for your this article that you're writing is about the, um, uh, you know, is about the protests in in France, you know, which. Uh, you know, in many ways, I mean, at, at points, I mean, it's kind of looked like, you know, the French version of uh, of of the George Floyd summer in 2020. You know, that the uh, uh, although in a very French way, like I saw, you know, it's like there were these like iconic pictures that were circulated of people just kind of very calmly sitting around, like having dinner and stuff, yeah. and fire behind them. What's uh, on fire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But the difference between the causes is really interesting uh, that um, 
that one of them, you know, that the, like, the protests in France are about this proposal to, uh, to raise the pension age. Um, and, you know, what happened in the United States, I mean, there are a lot of policy reforms, I think criminal justice reforms that, you know, protesters certainly would have welcomed, mm-hmm. but they, they weren't really oriented around any specific ask, you know, the, uh, the, uh, and the, like the sort of cause of all the rage in the first place was this, um, was this murder, uh, that was committed, uh, by, uh, by the police, you know, the killing of, uh, of George Floyd, uh, by Derek Chauvin. And, and I, I wonder if that goes to what we were talking about, because, the fact like if that's it's telling that that's what it was that caused all of this because that's a sort of specific horrible deed that's committed by like a specific person that you could actually see on video mm-hmm. doing it mhm oh yeah but like these individual acts you know people can't wait to you know lash out and i think part of that is because of a collective frustration against neoliberalism Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, neoliberalism is kind of uh, there is no alternative for a lot of people. We can we can all hate it rhetorically. But what are we do, really doing collectively to, mm-hmm. to fight back against it? And the idea of like when the Social Security age got raised, um, you know, maybe some older people got mad in the 80s. But ultimately, you know, I don't know if a garbage can got set on fire over raising the, the age of Social Security. And that has to do with the fact that anyone here listening to the show knows if you have to live solely off of Social Security, even if you've paid into it, you're not going to be able to sustain a life. You'll, you probably won't be able to, to pay rent. The majority of the people that I worked with in the, in, with the unhoused all got Social Security payments. And they were still homeless. Yeah. So the idea that the, um, the state will provide, we'd like the state to provide better, but I don't think we really want to, to live off of or depend off the state to help us, which is, you know, kind of sad. Yeah, that there's no like the discussion about Social Security is by and large about keeping it exactly the way it is versus, you know, what's always called reform, which always means cutting it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, the idea that Social Security would be raised to the point where people would actually be able to live just off of that is kind of off the map. Yeah, you know, we we forget. You know, those of us that are you know, recently got politically active and you brought this up the other day when we were talking, Ben, that it was Nancy Pelosi, of all people, that saved uh, Social Security many moons ago when she was a, a progressive all star in uh, in Congress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is a that is a really weird blast from the uh, <laughs> past. Uh, that's the. Uh, that was the like last thing that she did before she uh, before she settled into uh, uh, <laughs> she settled into her uh, her existence, you know, signing off on uh, on military funded increases and Patriot Act, you know, shitting on uh, you know what what did she call the Green New Deal, the Green Dream, or whatever? I don't know what these young the Green Dream. What is this? What is this? 
<laughs> oh, she's awful. Uh, yeah. Franklin, but... shut up. <laughs> Traded stocks. Uh, but, um, but yeah, uh, like, and I think, you know, and I wonder if that goes to another part of the, the point that it's like, okay, so what element definitely is that, um, like thinking about what kind of public policy there should be for retired people mm. is so much more abstract than like a video that you could actually watch of somebody killing somebody in the street. Um, but then there's also an element of, of what people's expectations are uh, that like in France, uh, you know, people, people expect that they're going to, you know, they're going to have this, this pension waiting for them. And they expect, you know, I mean, I don't pretend to know a lot of the details here, but, you know, presumably they expect they're going to be able to have like some kind of subsistence just on that pension. And the thought of that being messed with is infuriating, uh, which day it fucking should be. It's uh, like, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I mean, my view is that every time people talking about reform Social Security, we should just translate that back as stealing people's Social Security money, you know, that they yeah. uh, that they paid into, you know, and, uh, and 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 that they've been promised, you know, their entire life. But in America, like expectations are just abysmally lower from like what people are going to get from the state. Like, as you said, nobody's expected to be able to live just off of social security. I mean, this is, um, I mean, this, I'm not going to say our, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm not going to say that the cursed phrase related to this, that's going to, you know, get calls about this, but like, you know, if you think about discussions about how to push for Medicare or for all and all that, that have happened in the past, uh, the, uh, like, you know, I think a disconnect often fell to those discussions is that some people thought, oh, yeah, of course, if like um, there's going to be like mass public outrage at politicians who don't want Medicare for all during a pandemic. And, and the evidence never suggested that to me. Uh, and, I, and I think it unfortunately made a lot of sense that the public wasn't going to be outraged about politicians who, who didn't support Medicare for all. I mean, you know, Joe Biden said he would veto it. And he he still won the Democratic primary um, because even though people want it, like if you call them on the phone and you describe the idea to them, most people will tell pollsters, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. Uh, nobody really expects it. Like that's that's so far out of people's expectations for what politics is going to deliver for them that like at a certain point, it's like, oh, OK, I'm not you know, this guy doesn't support this thing that I never thought would happen, whatever. Like that's uh and and you know I I think that's um I think you know it's just like a mundane thing that is often really absent from a lot of discussions about left strategy that it's it's really hard to get people to get mad about things that they never expected to happen in the first place, coupled with the fact that there's a literal failure of institutions, you know, and then compound that with the fact that about half the population gets uh, some sort of employer health benefit that, you know, maybe they're happy with, maybe they're not happy with, but do they feel comfortable having the state run it? And I think that's the, the better question. Um, and, and I bring that up in the, in the piece briefly um, about, 
about the idea of, of Medicare for all, because uh, I really hoped that the pandemic would be a moment where people collectively were like, look, we, we need now is the time we need some sort of uh, socialized medicine. I mean, the fact that California tried twice statewide uh, to do it and we came closer, uh, was it two years ago, I think it was, or a year ago, yeah. um, to get a statewide um, single payer health care. But it was shot down by collectively by the Democratic Party of the state because there were people that did not want it to come to a floor vote. Yeah. And I should, and I should say, by the way, I mean, I'm, you know, feels like saying candy, man, but I'll go ahead and say force the vote that I have a, uh, that, uh, <laughs> uh, that like one of, uh, that I actually think in a context like California state politics, the equivalent of force the vote would actually make sense. Right. Like, like it actually, um, in other words, like, uh, let's say it was going to get, you know, like I, I never thought at a national level of like a floor vote that had no chance of passing was going to do anything uh, because I didn't really believe that voters were going to punish people for, uh, for voting against it. Cause like none of the evidence suggests that to me, but also the United States in general and California in particular are different contexts. And uh, I think making people go on record in the California state assembly might actually uh, have consequences for some of those politicians. Mm-hmm. It it was um. It was it was it was really interesting because also in the world in which we exist in, no one was talking about it, which I found kind of sad. Um, everybody wanted to, to tout Medicare for all, and here you could have this this case where an entire state says, "Okay, well, we have the means, and we we've, we've done the research." I mean, it came up. It was going to come up as a policy in like 2017, but I want to say Jerry Brown, maybe even 2012. I can't remember the exact year, but I know Jerry Brown was the governor at the time, and he shot it down because he did the whole how are you going to pay for it thing. And a few state legislatures got together for years to figure out, okay, how are we going to pay for it? Let's figure out every everything that can be used to shoot this down. Let's counter it. Have an answer. And let's make this happen. And when the when the response came out, hey, we can't bring it to a floor vote because, you know, people are afraid they're going to get primaried and lose their seats. And we don't want to lose the state supermajority um, over the potential of this coming to a, a vote um, um, as a as a uh, proposition um, that was a heartbreaking moment to me. And, and, and I felt kind of alone in that heartbreak, me and the, the nurses association of California yeah. and the, and the small handful of people that were, were campaigning for it. Um, because it, it just felt like all the people that, you know, were forced to voters and Medicare for all is the end all be all policy. It's like, well, here you go. Where are you at? And it was, it was pretty silent. Yeah. Cause nobody, Nobody covers state politics. No, no. Again, it's 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 more nuanced. It's a little more difficult to understand. You have to understand state machines. You know, Chicago is a city in Illinois, and, and to even try to think about Illinois politics, you'd have to understand uh, Chicago machine politics. Um, 
which is somewhat of a, of a complicated thing to understand. Yeah. And it's also just like, um, you know, the media infrastructure, uh, by the way, we had a caller a little while ago. They seemed to have disappeared. I was going to take them and then they, they left. So, uh, if anybody else wants to call in, we probably are going to wrap up the next few minutes. So just oh, yeah. get in the queue now. But, um, but you know, so, so that's like, so, but yeah, I mean, I think that's one issue that I mean, sometimes the state and local politics involve nuances that like some commentators just, you know, maybe don't have the patience for, uh, but, um, but I mean, I also think there's a structural problem in media mm-hmm. about, uh, about this, which is, you know, like, okay, maybe not the kind of media we're in so mm-hmm. much, uh, but like just regular mainstream media uh, covers state and local politics way less than it used to way less. Um, And a lot of that is because there used to be this infrastructure that was set up around that. Like, I don't know if anybody has statistics on this, but you know, I I'd love to see some stats on how many people are employed over the course, you know, through the 50 States right now, uh, primarily to cover state legislatures uh, mm-hmm. and versus how many were in say 2005. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I've got to think it's like a tiny fraction now since, um, you know, with the economic collapse of a lot of traditional media, um, they're just, you know, you're like online is everywhere. And if you're trying to find a big online audience, it doesn't really make a sense to uh it doesn't really make sense to focus specifically on what's going on in the california state assembly even like even a state as large as california it doesn't really make sense to focus specifically on what's happening in the california state assembly because you know uh like you're you're limiting your audience so much to to california whereas if you're talking about what's going on in u.s congress especially if you're like focusing on like a few celebrity members who everybody knows mm-hmm. yeah yeah, even people who are reading in England or Australia are going to have opinions about that. And what's interesting to me about that is it's allowing states to be, get more and more power. And when people aren't talking about the fact that these state houses are having these massive uh, right-wing takeovers where people are spending millions of dollars to get state seats, these states are becoming, you know, what I'm seeing, and maybe people disagree, so, into little fiefdoms. You know, Texas is a great example. Uh, Mississippi is a great example where when you have one city, the capital city, but also one of the poorest cities in the union um, trying to have some form of left politics just to stay afloat, uh, the state can come form, you know, kind of a crazy police body to police these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there, again, there isn't much of a, of a collective media uproar about this because again, who wants to think about the complexities of Mississippi politics, I guess. But for me, when we think about like wins and losses as, as people that may call themselves leftists, these, these state races and local city council races are, are kind of important. Yeah. Because that's where the right takeover is. Um, because you're, you you see it with with Trump, right? Like, hey, we got our judges, and they're just going to say, let the states do what they want to do. 
the federal government's having less and less power. Yeah, and uh, and I think especially if you're tracking that state stuff, the um, uh, like everything from uh, everything from the push to uh, uh, to have you know crazy anti-abortion laws to uh, to uh, something that I think a lot of people aren't tracking as much as they should, which is the weakening of uh, child labor protections. Uh, yep, in- Iowa. Yeah, right. Just passed another law. Let these kids work with machinery, and we're going to let these kids work at night. And it, look at their state house. Look at the city councils. Look at the school boards. And so, while everybody wants to get mad, you know, we were talking about this the other night at dinner. We were talking about um, Atlanta for some reason. I can't remember why we were talking about Atlanta. Uh, maybe it was the uh, brutal, savage police evisceration of a protester yeah. and uh, I saw Steven Donziger had uh, I was on Instagram which is the most non-political thing you could be on in my opinion was yeah. like a, where are you Raphael Warnock and, and yes that's off. right and I was like well what are they going to do they're like they're US senators yeah you know what, what are they going to do wag their finger at the governor yeah, um, good luck with that. Yeah, if the governor and the mayor and the police chief don't give a shit, good luck, Raphael Warnock. You know, Ilhan Omar did some finger-wagging during George Floyd. And again, what happened? What happened? The police didn't get abolished. The mayor got reelected. And uh, a few people actually lost city council seats that were positioned as a uh, pro defund abolish people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, well, I was going to say, I mean, if you're tracking a lot of this stuff at the state level, I think it really uh, helps make clear something that a lot of people miss the boat on, which is that, you know, there's this whole discussion that's been happening, happening since 2016 about like, I don't know, is Donald Trump a fascist and, you know, all this stuff. And, um, you know, because Trump and the, the, the uh, mega branding that Trump created is, is really attention grabbing. But uh, a lot of this stuff that Republican state legislatures around the country are doing, it's like, I mean, the, the amount of continuity that you could say there mm-hmm. across these different branding exercises mm-hmm. is kind of amazing, right? Because it's like, yeah, back when they were still, you know, wearing tricorder cats and calling themselves the Tea Party. <laughs> like, it was the exact same shit as, like, now that they've all, you know, pledged allegiance to, you know, Donald Trump as the God Emperor or whatever. Um, like, it's the, like, Alec. You know, which people know, Alec. You know, that's mm-hmm. the that's the lobbying organization that like writes a lot of these state laws. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they've been generating the same stuff. You know, and uh, they were generating the same stuff in 2013 when Donald Trump was on nobody's radar. You yep. know, as uh, as as they are now. I mean, the actual sort of um, right wing policy machine, you know, has has not changed in any way that I could tell in those years. Stand stand your ground laws aren't federal. Those are state laws. You know what I mean? And yeah. 
we don't even know what the hell a stand your ground law is until Trayvon Martin gets gets shot um, from an overzealous uh, citizen, mm-hmm. or overzealous racist citizen. So, you know, this is important. Not to say that you know people shouldn't care about you know federal politics at all, but it's just so ignored. And I think it also speaks to a weakness uh, of a lack of a left. And and it speaks to how comfortable it feels to be rhetorical, rhetorically reactionary um, over federal policies and just kind of blind to the state takeover that's happening in real time. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, and, and I think it also speaks to just frankly, how much this discussion is driven by people who, uh, don't, you know, who never log off and, uh, interact <laughs> with, uh, yeah. with people in, uh, you know, people who live in the same areas they do. So on that note, I think it is time to log off of this, uh, this app for, uh, for today. Uh, people can, uh, follow Jason's work at, uh, sublation magazine. I assume this, this new piece is going to come out within the next week or so. Yeah. Yeah. There's a editor friend I have that has to look at it first. His name uh, is uh, rhymes. Is, I think it's uh, Finn Fergus. Fed for just all right, fair enough. Uh, so Fed gets off his ass and looks at that. That'll, uh, that'll go off at uh, at sublation. Uh, can watch him at uh, this is revolution uh, podcast. Um, and uh, we will be uh, talking again uh, very soon, I'm sure. But uh, we are going to leave it off there for today. Left is best.